Ashley Miles. And I dropped my book. All right. Thanks for coming to uh, hang out with us. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, we're speaking today with Ashley Miles, uh, a poet that I was referred to uh, through another poet <laughs> for a specific uh, uh, project, actually, for the magazine. But uh, before we get into that, into uh, too many specifics, maybe um, introduce yourself uh, and chat about uh, either who you are, what you do. Yeah, like uh, David said, my name is Ashley Miles. Uh, I currently live on Salt Spring Island in British Columbia, near Victoria. And I'm uh, just honored to be a part of this uh, this podcast and, and the magazine. And uh, it's like it's a new uh, step forward for me in my, uh, in my journey as an artist. I work in hotels, and I've been writing poetry since I was probably 20 years old. And I'm now 36. That's awesome. Number one, Kylie said honored. Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> we definitely don't deserve that kind of thing. No, but uh, 36, a lot of poetry writing. I mean, maybe we could start there. I mean, what what is it that draws you into poetry itself? Uh, what started that journey and how has that become and as an expression for you right now, like uh, 16 years? So do you want to compare 2002 to 2018 or? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, even before that, I was writing like short stories, but never able to complete them. Uh, I just wasn't able to follow through. And then when I found poetry, it was something I could finish and I could uh, really express myself through in a way that I wanted, uh, especially when I started learning form poetry and how to use like sonnets or glosses or whatever it is that uh, I'm choosing to write with or even free verse. Um, learning the rules of poetry has really helped me to, to express myself in a much better way. So I didn't know anything about that back in 2002, 2001, when I started writing. And what I thought was good poetry, and looking back on it, I don't think it is anymore. I think my well, stuff now is way better. It was written, so that's good. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> um, Yeah, we had a spoken word poet, uh, Zaire Seeley, on here oh, yeah, Zaire. last year. I know Zaire. Yeah, he's got, he's got that... He's got a voice, that kid. Yes, he does. <laughs> um, but we didn't get into this idea of the structure of poetry, you know, and, and that there are rules. I mean, I, in my angsty 20s, uh, 20 years ago, I, uh, I thought of myself as a poetry writer, and it was, I guess, what you would call free verse. I just dumped my rage uh, into word form. But when you meet people like yourself who are actually good at it and take it seriously, I mean, uh, what is that structure around it that's important? I mean, you brought up a couple of forms, sonnet, et cetera. I mean, not to get too academic or technical, but uh, how how did you go about learning that? And uh, how do you end up choosing a form to write a poem? I mean, the one you wrote for me uh, in the magazine took time. It's not like you just flicked on a switch, dumped it out and sent it to me. I mean, you, you spent a lot of time like building them. Mm-hmm. It's true, I do. Uh... How do, how would I pick a form? I guess for the poem that I'm going to share later, I just it was with my friend and she gave me a book of poetry and I was like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to write a glossa, which is what I'm, I'll talk about that later. Uh, but it's basically I have to pick four lines from a poem and I thought that would be a really good starting point for this one. I really wanted to be concise with the poem. I didn't want to go on and on and on and on and on because that could happen too and this just gives me a good structure for for editing. It's really helpful. There's like line lengths and you know, I had to fit an idea within a certain amount of space. And uh, it really helped me with this poem. I don't always do that. Sometimes I just write free verse. I just sit down and just, uh, spew onto the page and then I'll form it later. It's interesting, you know, working uh, in the magazine sphere, my copy editor talked about editing poems. And I thought like that doesn't feel right to me, like having a third party come in and edit someone else's work of 
poetry. But I suppose there is some merit or some perspective in which what he says actually makes sense then. If he recognizes, for example, a a structure to a poem, then would he have like some way of coming back to you and correcting something that you put onto a piece of paper? Or does that get a little weird and personal at that point? It can get weird. Uh, I spent three days this week with a friend helping helping edit a chapbook, and uh, my friend just loved it. She thought that everything I was doing was really great and really helping her become a better poet. Mm. So it depends on what level you are and how open you are to uh, to growing as a poet. If you're just like, if you get to a, write a draft and you think it's finished, then you're not going to be open to to growing. But if you say, okay, this is good enough, but it can improve than another person's opinion. And they might see it differently or better even than how you wrote it. It's always good to help. Any help is good. You know, we get into this idea of creating the structures, et cetera. And in our pre-chat, we also talked about the performance aspect. So there are obviously many poets that don't seem to be renowned for uh, performing. And so the ones that perform seem to fall under this idea of spoken word or uh, performance art, et cetera. Um, so what for you are the discerning categories in which one, uh, or maybe what is the approach that brought you to actually want to be in front of people to express it instead of uh, publishing it maybe on a piece of paper, on a blog or on a website and, and that being good enough? Yeah, uh, I've always been a performer too. Growing up, I was, I liked to perform and in high school drama was my class of choice along with foods. And so I've always had that side of me. When I started performing before that, I was just looking for a poetry community. That's all I was looking for. And I came across the spoken word poets and I was like, yeah, this is how poetry should be read for me. And lots of people are from memory. And I don't necessarily do that these days, but I used to do it a lot. Yeah, it was just about finding a community. And I like sharing poems on stage. Uh, I'm not so good at listening to them because I don't remember them and I have to read them in order to get the meaning out of them. I just like the impermanence of it and, and the audience. I just feel loved when I'm on stage and and I like to get, share my words that way. So maybe we can tie in and you can tell me about you coming to Calgary, um, both as an individual, as a poet and all this kind of stuff about Cafe Koi. Um, and then, you know, what that community has been like here uh, in this city uh, versus in Victoria or wherever you've been a poet in. <laughs> yeah, I've just basically done Victoria and Calgary for my poetry community. Yeah, so I started in Victoria 2007 and they had a, they were only on the third season when I started. That was in 2007, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I found a really great community. And then when I moved to Calgary to find work, uh, we had the slam, the poetry slam here. And uh, there was... The only open mic they had really was four spots in their open mic. And I would go to Koi for their music open mics and perform poetry on Tuesday nights every week. Then uh, one day I approached the owner and said, you know, I'd like to start this, a spoken word. And he said, well, we don't have a spoken word community at this place, but we would like one. So then we made it happen. And uh, the first show, there was about 10 people. And then the second one, about 20. The third one, maybe 40. And then the fourth one was full, and it's been going ever since. (laughs) I mentioned when Helen and I first moved here, we had uh, gone there um, a few times, not not uh, regularly, I I wouldn't say. But what? How do you find the audience? Is it other poets? Is other creators? Is it just you know? Are there aficionados? Uh, What's the energy level and the sort of um, community that comes to actually watch the events here in Calgary? 
I would say it's a koi for expressions. It's a mixture of both. Sometimes there's a lot more poets than there is audience members, and sometimes an even mixture. Um, but there's always still performers to that come and and share their work. Yeah, and the energy level is really high. It's always been high. Any favorite performers in the city? Oh yeah, I really enjoy uh, like Charity Wilson. Uh, she was my feature poet for my for my last time hosting in 2015. And her and uh, and Richard Harrison. Um, I love Cobra Collins. Amazing, amazing poet. Uh, she's one of my closest friends. And my friend uh, Brina Joy is amazing. Ian San Augustin, he's a little Filipino dude, really great. I love his work. He's a really great storyteller too. Yeah, that's cool. those are some of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. How many of those are like older guard since the beginning and how many of them are new? Or? Most of them are new. Cobra is probably the oldest one. Sherry D is like the mother of poetry in Calgary of spoken word. That's cool. Yeah, she founded the slam here and in... She was very influential of the poets in Victoria as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that connection goes back the other way as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's neat. I mean, I, like you talk about the, with the energy, et cetera, we used to go to classical revolutions, but on two, on the second week we'd come to expressions and, um, it's just when you see people who are performing anything, um, there's already kind of a, yeah, a bump. <laughs> and then when people get into a real groove or hit that, that spot musically or I suppose lyrically or, um, Poetically, it's uh, it's something. I uh, I actually met Zaire at uh, People Are Pearls. Did you ever go to one of those uh, events? No, I've never heard of it actually. A friend of mine, Rihanna, started something trying to do, yeah, bringing poets, performers, and all these people, like you know, positive energy. Saturday nights, different things, and uh, yeah, that was amazing. But uh, yeah, Zaire's fun. The other thing that I suppose we should talk about actually is. Um, the transgender issue. Issue is kind of a weird way to put it, but um, I guess I bring it up as an issue just because all this other rhetoric that's been going around the, the city lately, but Calgary's been a cool place. I've been seeing it. It's such an open place, I think, uh, for transgender and LGBTQ and all this kind of uh, stuff, with the exception of not allowing uh, Pride Week because of Stampede uh, to co- correspond with the rest of the country. But that's uh, that's a whole other thing. But how did you come to that conversation in your life? And uh, has Calgary played a role in, in that and somehow? Um, I guess it was... Back in like 2000 when uh, the idea of it first came into my head, I tried on some women's clothing and was like, oh, this feels kind of right. But I didn't pursue it because of my religious beliefs at the time. And even the second time in about 2003, I did the same thing, tried on some women's clothing. I was like, this is right. But again, because of religious beliefs, I was like, no, this is wrong. I can't do this. And so I just put it aside until uh, 2015 when I went to a Halloween party as a, as a woman. And uh, I have a whole piece on this story as well. I loved it. And then I really thought about it for a long time after that, for about a year and a couple months until I came out as trans. And I originally thought that I was a trans woman, but I noticed that my gender would shift here and there and to the point where now it's almost daily. <laughs> Where I sometimes identify more feminine, sometimes I identify more masculine, sometimes I don't identify with either. So yeah, so I consider myself now non-binary and gender fluid. And you know, for uh, old hats like me, I mean, what what would that mean more specifically? I mean, other than sort of a, a hinted androgynous sort of middle middle of the road, but is there something specific about where those terms come from? So non-binary and what was the other one? Uh, gender fluid. Gender fluid. Yeah, so for me, non-binary is just not being part of the binary. 
right. like binary being male traditional male and female. Yes, and then gender fluid is uh, flowing in the spectrum of gender. Uh, if masculine and feminine were on the outside of each end, and then there's like, like a rainbow in between that you just kind of go along the rainbow. And then in that in that case, then from a physical, hormonal, you know, medical, all these things where some people are doing these more extreme, I suppose, uh, operations, um, hormone changes, et cetera. I mean, where would someone in the middle work? Has it become you're physically exactly as you have always been and um, it becomes more of a mind state uh, or are there other approaches that you've uh, taken as far as your gender, gender role is right now? Uh, for me, I have chosen to stay physically the same as I was born, but lots of people do do take hormones and modify their body depending on where they're at, how they want to look, and if they want their voice to change. Um, for me, those things are not important. Presenting myself in how I want to look is becoming more important for a long time. As I was searching through my identity, that was not an issue for me. But now it's starting to be, even like right now, I'm wearing like a fairly androgynous hat. You know, I'm wearing like a women's sweater and a man's t-shirt underneath it and men's jeans and men's shoes. I have no fashion eye, so I couldn't tell. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> Plus, I mean, I think, you know, modern fashion is sort of twisting middle anyways. Uh, yeah. Being Asian, uh, we used to tease my friend, but like, you know, Hong Kong culture in the 80s and 90s was essentially androgynous anyways. Uh, Korea's going that way. So growing up with the people and looking at, you know, sort of fun pop of the 90s, 80s, 90s, and the thousands, it's like I've I've seen I've seen all this. I've seen people. Not, it's not even considered cross dressing. It's just you know this guy showed up. He's wearing this, and well, yeah, fuck. I don't know, it's interesting that there are these rules and these roles and these uh, assignments, even with clothing, that a cut has to be this and this defined thing. It's uh, it's changing, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it's changing too. But I think that still comes from like the cisgendered culture or of clothes have a traditional role like yeah. men wear certain things and women wear certain things i just like breaking that yeah i'm just debating whether to get more into this maybe not i mean it's uh, other than showing my own ignorance to the whole situation um i'm just kind of happy that i'm meeting so many people who uh, essentially don't give a shit anymore and they do you have to because i'm sure i guess maybe the question i want to drive at is uh, how has that been on a social friend, family, and uh, society level? And is there a comparative thing, for example, with Victoria, with Calgary, with where you're living now, um, the people that you surround yourself with, the people that have been through that process? Has there been any kind of uh, unique characteristic or has it been kind of the same all the way around? Or uh, well, How I've approached it and I'm working on changing this is that I basically live two lives. I have certain people know me as Ashley and other people know me as my birth name. Because of my work, I go by my birth name at work because uh, I know my boss. I've known my boss for about 25 years. Oh, smokes. And uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit difficult to be able to uh, to tell him. I have some fear around it. So, uh, But there are people within my place of employment that know me as both because I felt safe with them but definitely set the rules, like don't don't say anything. But once I leave my where I live uh, and go into the city, into Victoria, or come back to Calgary where people know me as Ashley, then I'm okay with it. Uh, I still have old friends here from my old work too. Uh, not to drive too much into this, but I'm always, you know, the idea of fear and what other people are capable of. I mean, it sucks that human beings are human beings. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, we're pretty 
uh, capable of, of shitty things, capable of amazing, miraculous things too. Uh, but yeah, this idea of fear and this weight that you have to carry, um, living two lives, uh, is not easy. No, it's not. And my aim for 2019 is to unify my lives, mm. unify my identities, and just accept the consequences of whatever's going to happen. Because mm. I don't know what could happen. No. You know, at all. Even my friend will be like, that's okay, whatever. You know, I don't care. Go do your own thing. It doesn't affect me. Yeah. You know, who knows? I don't know what's going to happen. Well, one thing I'm learning uh, with my, I suppose, renaissance or change or, you know, just current life is um, if I get away from this idea that I can predict anything, you know, I think that's one of the things about fear generates from our human brain's obsession that we can actually connect all the dots. And I know this guy's going to do this and this guy's going to say that, and then I'm going to have to do this. And then um, as I live my life, uh, bumping into things now and, and not really giving a shit whether, uh, you know, I mean, I try to be nice. I, I care when I talk to Kyle because, you know, I put him under a lot of pressure and I don't want him to, you know, attack me suddenly in the sound booth, uh, yeah. throttle me with a mic or something. But <laughs> Throw my headphones at Yeah, toss your headphones at me. and I mean, you wouldn't sacrifice an iMac for me, but... Uh, <laughs> But like you said, accept the consequences as um, maybe it brings you where you, you're supposed to be, as opposed to that tension where you're being withheld from something greater. I mean, who knows? I mean, a year ago, I would not have had a podcast. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's incomprehensible. I wouldn't, I didn't even have the idea of publishing a magazine and yeah, just living a charmed life right now, which is why I'm so nice to Kyle too, because once he kicks me out of here, I'm, I'm fucked. Um, <clears throat> no, but it's great. I'm excited for you. I think... Um, you know, anything I can do. I mean, again, you know, publishing the poem, et cetera, uh, this podcast. And in the future, whenever you come back, um, yeah, man, we can, we can figure something out. Uh, yeah, but I'd love to be supportive of anybody doing anything. Why not be the nice guy for once? Then let's get to what we've been up to and why we actually kind of know each other. Personally, I'll say that for issue two, the previous issue, I got a submission from a painter, Terry Gregoroshuk, who... Uh, did a, I mean, you've seen it, a fascinating piece. So beautiful. Yeah, man. I love it. I show it to all my friends who I show the, who I share my poem with. It's, uh, man, yeah, beautiful. That's, we'll leave it at that. And hopefully when the magazine publishes, we'll have done the layout and depiction of it justice. Um, but I didn't want to just have the images on their own. I felt like it needed sort of a narrative or a piece. Um, and so we talked, he, he reached out to, I can't remember, um, his name, but uh, a prominent member of the transgender society here, uh, but we didn't get much feedback. Um, and then uh, I talked to Amanda, a mutual friend, and she told me to talk to you. And so we've been working uh, on you building a poem for it. And yeah. then you actually sent it to me. Yeah. That's great. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. And uh, and then that's why I kind of rushed this idea. Maybe we could publish issue three but while you're here to visit and do it for the launch. And it just fell apart, which is okay. That's okay. Yeah, we accept the consequences, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'd like to kindly ask, you know, not just for this podcast, but maybe uh, when we do launch, you know, maybe we could even play it. We'll figure something out. Um, we'll Skype, yeah. face, FaceTime. <laughs> uh, um, but... Um, I'd like it that, and I've got two other pieces that I'd like to be very central for the um, for the issue. But uh, it, w- it would be a great honor if you would uh, be interested in uh, maybe performing it for us. Yeah, I would really love that. Okay. Um, yeah. So before we just jump into it, Kyle, are there any nuances we should be aware of audio technically, uh, or should he just uh, let her rip? Uh, just go. <laughs> I can go on the fly. Okay. This poem, like I said before, was written in the form of a glossa. 
And so that form means that there's, I take four lines from somebody else's poem and I put them at the top of the poem. And then I write four stanzas of 10 lines each. And the each of the four lines from the other person's poem becomes the last line of each stanza. And uh, traditionally, uh, the sixth, ninth, and 10th lines are supposed to rhyme, but I ignored that for this poem as I am writing about breaking binaries and breaking rules. I thought it was appropriate. All right, this poem is called uh, Beauty in the Twilight. Our beauty is a face whose scars are outlined in glitter. Our beauty is a mouth painted red for war. Our beauty is a secret that stands up to scream. Our beauty is becoming and becoming and becoming. That's from Stealing Fire by Kai Cheng Tom, who is also a Canadian transgender poet. I am a beautiful monster, misunderstood, two people in one body. I have two breasts and a cock. I am considered a deformation of humanity, forced to the in-between place where monsters are exiled, where light illuminates the gray. No one wants to look at me. Instead, they slash us with their words. Our beauty is a face whose scars are outlined in glitter and sparkles in the twilight of society. No one knows what to do with me. They call me names and call me ugly, but I am not. I am made of stars, the beauty of the night. I twinkle and shine as bright as the rest. I am a beautiful monster. Pick a side, they say. You can't be both man and woman at the same time. You're the ugliest monster we've seen so far. Our beauty is a mouth painted red for war. But I do not fight to kill like they want to do to me. I fight for the balance of the twilight, the dance of light and dark. Dracula might as well be my neighbor with the way the world treats me. They do not know a thing about me. They have never offered me a question. We are a beautiful monster, and our beauty is a secret that stands up to scream and scream and scream and scream until the world of equality exists. One day, understanding will dawn that having two breasts and a cock does not make me the ugly side of humanity. I am breaking the binary, the expectations of what a human is. I am celebrating the twilight. We are a beautiful monster, and our beauty is becoming and becoming and becoming. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley. You're welcome. Just had to grab my book. That was awesome. This attention that you talk about. It's fascinating. I um, Should we delve into that a little bit? I, you know, What is yeah. that expression? Uh, are there specific experiences, or is there something that drove the writing of that poem? I feel like it's where I'm at in my life right now, just really still like searching my identity. Specifically when I was writing this poem, was still not like clear on my, my uh, what my labels were, and those could change at any time as well. I'm a person who's, who's afraid. I have a lot of fear. And when I look at people, I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, society still seems to be very much about about cisgendered folk about male and female specifically, and not accepting of people like me. And that scares me a lot. So, but we still have to fight in spite of that. Just get to get out there. And, you know, that's part of why I want to, uh, to unify my identities, because I don't want to be in fear anymore. I want to own who I am and just say, fuck you to whoever else doesn't care. Whoever doesn't want to accept me can just 
They can just go away. I think there's an important message even for us in general, this uh, weight I think our society puts on the opinion of others. You know, I spent a lot of my life worrying, like, you know, that guy's looking at me, this girl's looking at me, they must be this. And now the more I tell myself, uh, who gives a shit? <laughs> and the more I can just walk a little bit more upright. But in your case, um, the pressure becomes more severe, I think. Um, not that I would know anything about it. Uh, it. You know, it reminds me too of when we had our son, I started getting more sensitive about women's rights and uh, their experiences. As a man, uh, um, I thought I was a very, you know, egalitarian, cool, hip dude. And then I realized, like, I don't know anything about my wife. I don't know. I mean, we've been together almost 20 years, but like uh, 19 years this year. But, you know, what do I really know about her experience as a woman, for example? I mean, in the cisgender um you know, experience, like almost nothing. Like she's revealed to me that every woman fears of being attacked and raped and like when they walk alone. And I'm like, oh, because cause we, we don't, you know? And she's like, every time this happens, you know, and, and th these memes are not coming out because it's to start talking about, which is great. But like, you know, safety texts and having girlfriends and, you know, uh, that know where you are at all times and all that kind of stuff. Then to kind of add that element to... um any LGBTQ uh, experience on top of that, where the expression of hate, whether driven by religion or idiocy or whatever the fuck it is, can become so physical. I mean, it's one thing, I mean, it's, it's harmful enough emotionally when people are just being dicks that it's something even bigger than that. Uh, it's quite frightening. Of course it's frightening. But, how, you know, how do you find over the last 15 some odd years, like, is it getting better? <laughs> Uh, is it the same? Uh, I mean, I mean, your experience of it will have changed, of course, as you uh, work through your own identity as well. But uh, how, do you, how do you feel about, how would you rate us, you know, the world? Yeah. Are we doing okay right now? Or I'd say some people are doing okay. Yeah. You know, and other certain presidents are making it worse. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah it's the political climate just, just dictates a lot of what's going on. You know, like in Canada, we have a pretty chill prime minister and he's he's okay, but the one south of the border is not great for us. But overall, I would say people are getting better and starting to see the, the idiocracy or the idiocy of of stupid people. This whole idea that it matters what someone else is doing is kind of crazy, right? Like, as long as he's not making me do it, like, why does it fucking yeah. matter? Exactly. Nothing um, that anybody does has anything to do with anybody else, mm -hmm. really. No. Until you make it into something that, you know, and and there are issues with, uh, like, we get into the room and if I knock you over, yeah, I mean, we've contacted each other. There's something, right? Or if I have an obsession with, uh, you know, shoulder checking Kyle every time I walk by him uh, or follow him into the urinal and having to pee in the same urinal at the same time with him every single time. We're going to talk about, no, I, you know, <laughs> when you get into other people's business, that's one thing, but... Yeah. You know, the, the older Trudeau had that famous line about the bedroom and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's interesting you bring up politics. I mean, how much of, you know, Trump, for example, has a trickle-down effect and how much of it is an expression of what that society actually is like uh, at its core? I mean, that's impossible for us to say per se, but you, I guess you get this feeling that someone having the position of power is either authorizing or encouraging more behavior at the ground level. I would say so. I think he probably brought out a lot of people that were thinking like him already, but just didn't feel like they had the permission to express themselves. And now they are. Now they're LGBTQ people below south of the border are feeling persecuted. 
even more so than they they ever have really before uh like when obama was there he was advocating for rights and changing a lot of things and he just reversed it all you know it's a scary time i think we're fairly uh luckier to be in canada but it's still an illusion that that it won't go that way because it can but it can also get better from here too and that's where i'm hoping it gets to is that uh, is like i said in my poem fighting for equality that's what's important here and like and helping people understand that because just because i identify a certain way it has nothing to do with how you identify it's not going to affect your life you know you're just going to think i look funny <laughs> really even that i mean you know adding the adjective or the, yeah it's like we just look different if you think if another person thinks that, that this person looks funny and i mean you know, fuck you and what that means too <laughs> like who cares it doesn't matter yeah, it doesn't it shouldn't i know it shouldn't matter i mean it does matter to some people but it shouldn't matter exactly self-expression is is important for human beings that we express ourselves how we feel we are hmm. you know we try to suppress that and oppress that as much as we can specifically from like white white cisgender society yeah you know, because they are the oppressors unfortunately yeah, at least on the continent, yeah. No, actually, maybe globally. <laughs> yeah, there's some history there. Uh, I mean, dialing back to Calgary then, uh, once again, I'll ask, I mean, um, how is the Calgary, um, yeah, LGBTQ society here? Uh, how is everybody holding up? How was the energy level like, the community spirit? Yeah, everyone's everyone's pretty awesome in this community. Like, There's a lot of really great things happening uh, like the Skipping Stone Foundation, founded by Amelia, it's like really looking out for trans people specifically. Um, I don't, I haven't really paid attention to the like the gay community or the lesbian or bisexual community, but for the trans community, there's some really great support systems here, and people are just trying to make it more acceptable and really pushing the boundaries of acceptance and fighting for equality, which is really great. Really, even affecting laws and things like that. So I think my wife told me that. Uh... Is Thailand or Vietnam? No, Thailand. It's like super pro, uh, like pro-ish uh, trans because they're, I don't know if it's Buddhist or or their spiritual beliefs that the spirit is not tied to the body. You know, how you're born, how you express and how you engage and experience life is unique to your spiritual self. And then whatever happens on the outside is just, you know, it's just what's on the outside. Like it doesn't actually matter. That's really uh, neat. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Um, I love that idea not just in this context in transgender but like in everything like you know even my and again i'll bring kyle into this my anti-corporate anti-capitalist pro-socialist sort of i mean the stem is the the root is that which is that if somebody goes out and wants to be a stockbroker make a shit ton of money great like actually it's cool like i used to irritate me a little bit but now like whatever that's great but that i'm being told that that's the best way to live for me is irritating right it's like uh, we had a guest actually yesterday, Dean Stanton, and we'll see the which comes out first in the pocket sequentially when people can listen to this. But I mean, he, he made a great point. I think he's 30 plus years as a surviving working artist. Imagine that in Calgary, which is very rare in itself. Uh, fascinating, really, really nice guy. But he's kind of like how I want to sell a painting, whether it's 100 bucks or, or 5,000 bucks, that's up to me. And it, and it shouldn't matter, you know, to uh, like my peer that I sold this thing for a hundred dollars. Oh, you're devaluing. So who gives a shit? Like, this is just what I want to do. I want to draw pictures, you know, I want to make a living that way. Um, this idea of, yeah, wealth when worshiping money as this spiritual thing is, is really corrupting. Yeah. So I think moving back into the uh, gender role, it's like not to pick on a boss, but like, you know, if somebody that you know for 25 years, uh, it affects their opinion of you, even though you've clearly been a 
reasonable employee for 25 years, then that's their weakness and that's their weight at that point, right? And it's nothing to do with you uh, because you're actually must be good at your job. I would have fired you if it's 25 years of just walking around. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I should be clear. I haven't worked for him for 25 ah, years. You've known him for I've 25 known him for 25 years. I was 10 years old when I met him. That would have been child labor. <laughs> uh, we, I, we joked about that with Emerson this morning. Um, the waitress tried to give him the bill. He refused to pay. What a, what a jerk. Right? <laughs> so we told him that uh, he can go back and wash the dishes. He started to get a little upset, whiny. He's four-year-olds these days. And then uh, we realized that he would have to work for a child uh, Child labor wages, so at like three bucks an hour, he was going to be there all weekend, right? Like to pay our breakfast bill. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that your your kid's name? Yeah, Emerson. Emerson. Yeah, we uh, one of the things. I mean, I, my sister says I talk too much about myself in these podcasts, but uh, one of the great things that I've accidentally come into is um, we didn't name him after anything. Like Helen just found the name Emerson. Uh, even though I studied philosophy, I never came across Emerson the, I mean. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yeah, Ralph yeah. Waldo Emerson, the pseudo philosopher writer, you know, fascinating, amazing person. And then uh, after I went through my um, crises, my uh, life break and my absolute you know, reset, Emerson keeps popping up. And the stuff that guy said, it's so beautiful. I mean, it's just so positive and like about loving people and just, again, like kind of like what we're talking about, who gives a shit what anybody else thinks, just be yourself, express, live, joy. And so by accident, I mean, by fate, we uh, made a boy who's uh, just fucking happy. That's when awesome. he gets angry, he's, he's crazy, but um, yeah. yeah, and his favorite color's pink and he wears this and he watches My Little Pony, but he also watches Power Raid. Like who gives a shit? Like all of that yeah. stuff, right? Like. I don't know. This new trending thing with this Gillette razor ad. I, I didn't it. watch it because uh, fuck commercials. But it's good. It's good? Oh, yeah, I recommend it. Yeah? It's powerful video. I've, I uh, read the reaction to it and the concept, which I'll agree with. You know, the idea of cisgender, like masculinity, like what it means to yeah. you know, have a big dick and a hairy face. Like, who fucking cares about that stuff? Uh, yeah. But... Um, but as soon as I saw the branding, I was I couldn't I couldn't click on it. I was like, you know, I love the idea that they're gonna make a video <laughs> that uh, that men need a different uh, like just a wake up call. Um, but I I don't want to buy a razor. I, I switched to you know stuff from Kent of Inglewood. And I, you know, <laughs> I have a safety razor and like a shaving cream. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> but from our no waste days. Uh, but and you can tell because I'm I'm such a hairy dude as an Asian guy. <laughs> yeah. I shave a lot <laughs> once yeah. a week. Um, no, but I haven't watched it yet. And, uh, but, it's, but this is the thing, like something's changing. I mean, that that it can even exist uh, in the public mainstay is incredible. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, I saw a meme today that said, uh, I guess Gillette isn't good for sensitive skin after all. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I'll shout out uh, Michelle Johnson's photographer we met because we're building a show and uh, she kept teasing me that I don't like memes or whatever. But uh, man, when they're good, that's yeah. that's a good one. That's a really uh, I have to find it after and post that on the uh, on the old Instagram, yeah. Twitter. I'm on Twitter now, which is oh, nice. fun. Yeah, it's on uh, my Facebook page. Yeah, I think right. I shared it. So. All right, I'll find it. Yeah, Kyle's laughing because I've been bringing up Twitter a lot. This is what happens when people tell me what to do. I get itchy about it. I'm like, yeah, it's not my fault. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, at the end of the day, we want the perspectives thing to be about Calgary at the end. Um, but, you know, you've given us some great insight into Calgary in general. Um, maybe, I guess, if, for closing, is there anything you think um, you want to 
talk about with Calgary itself, either transgender, artist, writer, employee, citizen, <laughs> clearly someone who's uh, aware of politics. I mean, I don't know. A Is bit. there any, yeah, anything else you want to throw at the mic to bring it back to the city? Maybe uh, explain to us why it left. Calgary, I love Calgary. This place has, when I came here in 2011, it really supported me and it really helped me uh, find who I am. Uh, that happened all in this city. And uh, I left because I uh, found a new job. Like it was offered to me, the job. And uh, it just happened to be in BC near my near where I'm from, near Victoria. So, Well, maybe I'll follow up with uh, what are maybe two or three things you miss the most about Calgary right now? What are two or three things you're glad to be rid of? <laughs> uh, I really miss my friends here. I miss the, uh, the expression scene and the poetry scene in general here. I think it's really great. And I miss the food. I think there's a lot of really great food in Calgary. Yeah. I think there's a lot of good stuff. <laughs> and three things I don't miss are like the busyness of the city. Um, I don't miss um, my first day back here on my holiday. Uh, some drunk guy grabbed my bag of chips out of my hand on the train. And then it's like, oh, it's just a joke here. I have it back. And I just didn't even finish the chips because I don't know where his hands were. <laughs> and I was like... Yeah, so I don't miss that stuff. <laughs> no, <laughs> just like being harassed, the community, you know? the community interaction. That's yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grabbing bag of chips that sucks. Yeah, I was not happy about it. <laughs> and how big this place is! Like where I live is a village. It's like not even a town. Like I don't miss that. Like you could take every store in my town and put it in Chinook Mall and still have plenty of real estate left over. You know, you know, like I just don't miss the hugeness of it. Mm. It takes forever to get anywhere. <laughs> like Hello. Here, uh, I used to walk home from work and it took me 20 minutes to get home. And uh, it takes me half that to get home now from my, from my current job. And that's walking through the whole town, the whole mm. village. It's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, the pace suits you, right? Yeah. at least right now. No, it suits me very much so right now. Just that's great. I'm working on slowing down. All right. Is there anything in closing, any projects or any fun stuff we should look forward to? I am not really present on the internet with my work yet, but uh, it's something I want to do as well. I met somebody on Salt Spring Island who uh, who does that for a living or builds helps people build websites. And so she gave me a list of things to do before I call her. And, and that was just a random guest that I met in my restaurant. The universe is a fascinating place. You yeah. know, it, you put good vibes out, and uh, they get returned. There's a, I, I'm not uh, Christian or religious that way, but I've become very spiritual. But there's a Bible quote or something like, what is it? God helps those who help themselves or whatever. Something so like, like you got to like put positive energy out. And it never comes back the way you expect because we're humans and we're dumb. So we don't actually, yeah. you know, expect these things correctly. But um, yeah, but I, universe gave me Kyle and Matt. And when, when they take them away, when they get sick of me, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to assume that as long as I'm happy about it, <laughs> yeah. something else will come out. But, uh, but we're building some cool stuff here. And um, if A, if you ever come back, uh, let me know. Yeah. I would love to maybe even find a way to build a show. Uh, we're looking into developing things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, magazine-wise, man, like if you want to throw anything at me, um, let's talk. Because okay. it's all open call-based. Um, and I love your voice. So, you know, if there's something we can do together uh, yeah. to keep your narrative going, uh, I'm around for that. Yeah. Um, but uh, mostly I'm just really glad to have met you, man. Like just being able to kind of like 
get away from the internet friendship <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then yeah. put a physical human being in front of me. It's, it's yeah. exciting. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. 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 I was like, okay, I'm going to do this because I know Amanda <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's, it's working out. So <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm really pleased with it. So. And just and then, quickly, uh, we've been referring Amanda by, but it's Amanda Hebert and, uh, and she's, she's a character. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. She's, uh, she's some, uh, Kyle hasn't met her yet. Kyle, you'll love her. Yeah. She's, uh, she's a cartoon character, um, yeah, but an incredible poet and apparently quite famous at one point in her life and yeah. like for poetry, she's famous in general, everywhere she goes, but yeah. she's something. Absolutely. Well, so yeah. just shout out to Amanda. Thank you so much for introducing us. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I guess we'll wrap up. Great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>